Welcome to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Sumer. My guest this week is Phil Chambers, co-founder and CEO of Pecon. Phil joined me at Slush in Helsinki as we recorded this interview courtesy of Google Cloud for startups who made this happen. On this week's episode, we talk about why do we quit our jobs and what the warning signs are and how you can hold on to your top talent. A really interesting conversation from somebody who knows a lot about this subject matter. We talk about what the normal level of employee attrition is. A nine-month warning report, uh, which identifies four reasons people leave their jobs. Any other common reasons that people leave startups. And hints and warning signs that someone is about to look and leave your company and looking for another job. Great conversation with Phil Chambers, and uh, I hope you learn a lot around this, as we know that people is uh, one of the top challenges in running a business. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Uh, Phil Chambers, uh, co-founder and CEO of Pecon. How's it going, Phil? Uh, yeah, it's not bad, Alex. How are you? Uh, very good. Very good. It's uh, early to be doing this, isn't it? It is <laughs> early. It's early. But, well, who, who knows? We're in the darkness in Helsinki. Uh, yeah, who knows, it's, who knows it's, it's dark inside and outside. It, it is indeed, in, indeed. And so we, we are at, uh, at Slush in, uh, in Helsinki. We're in the, the Google Cloud for Startups uh, podcast booth. How was um, your evening? Uh, very good, very good. Uh, slush is uh, very good during the day and also in the uh, in the evening during, as well. Night, so uh, yeah. had a, a very awesome party last night with uh, AWS and Back VC. Mm. Um, went on to the wee hours, but uh, as yeah. as a pro, here I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Phil. Um, First time as a guest on the SaaS Revolution Show. We've it had is. you speak at SaaS Doc before. You have. Uh, but tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself. Who is Phil Chambers, as a, uh, both as a, a human and as an entrepreneur, uh, and, uh, and, and what Pecon is and what it does? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, a human and entrepreneur, that's a good one. Um, I, I've been around the block, I would say. You know, um, <laughs> Definitely got a few miles on the clock. The makeup artist had, uh, <laughs> had her work out this morning <laughs> before I got up on stage. Um, you know, sort of worked uh, in a few B2Cs. So like, I was at Gumtree, I was at Quipe, um, Gumtree back in the glory years as, as we lament them passing. Um, then kind of got into my first taste of SaaS at Podio. Um, so I was sort of heading up technology and product there. Um, we ended up selling that business to Citrix. So um, I then was seconded into running the GoToMeeting SaaS business, uh, which is my first taste of running an American SaaS company uh, with obviously much bigger revenue, uh, so $250 million, 800 people. Um, and around that time, uh, me and uh, my other co-founders sort of made the decision to start Pecon. Uh, that was like summer of 14. Um, so that was kind of the journey. Uh, Pecon, um, in short, uh, we are a people analytics platform, but we, we convert real-time employee feedback into predictive insights in your company. Uh, and the kind of outcomes you're looking for are you know, more engaged employees, um, you're looking for you know better productivity, but ultimately also to lower regrettable attrition, uh, which was the subject of my talk this morning. Okay, and uh, also going to be the, obviously the uh, nice segue into the subject of mm. what we're going to discuss uh, now. Yeah. So um, we, we're going to talk about why people quit their jobs and what are the warning signs and, and how we can hold on to the top talent. So, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we, we've done, I think, four SaaS stocks now, or, or certainly we have done four SaaS stocks. And, uh, at every SaaS stock, you get the benefit to you know speak with founders like yourself. Uh, and uh, one of the, the 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 things that is just a commonality, every founder that I speak to, uh, you know, talks about people being you know one of the hardest things. And like 
you know, hiring, uh, you know, training them up, and then all of a sudden, then people leave, and this this attrition, and it, it's super tough, right? It doesn't seem to be. Uh, something that like uh, many founders have really kind of cracked. Yeah. Uh, so really good to get your insights on this. So from your experience, like what is a, a, a normal kind of level of uh, like employee uh, attrition uh, at a company that, that at least companies should be, uh, uh, I guess, aspiring to, but also what, what do you actually really kind of see in the market? Um, it's a really good question. I think it sort of cuts the chase of really why we decided to start the company. Um, because we could see this mega trend coming, it, like was sort of this tsunami was on the horizon in '14. You know, this war for talent, and that has just intensified. You know, as, as kind of more money is ploughed into the space, uh, you know, there'd be more companies started, and therefore, uh, you know, and, and tech becomes the dominant thing uh, in the economy. Then, you know, ev everybody wants to work for a tech company, etc. And the large, the big boys obviously have very, very deep pockets, right? Um, the question is, is money right the main motivator? So. A typical attrition rate, there isn't one. Um, if we're talking about companies as a whole, uh, you know, they have very, very different attrition rates. Um, so, you know, we work with, um, you know, uh, for example, Swiss private banks who have very, very low attrition rates, as you can imagine. Uh, we also work uh, with a lot of retailers, you know, under high pressure, you know, have a very, very young demographic who can have attrition rates of, you know, over 100% a year. Um, and anything in between, I think, what um, what is typical though is that startups have a higher attrition rate than normal companies, and that's usually well. There's a couple of different driving factors behind that, but ultimately, it's it's not a very easy job. Um, either if you're successful <laughs> or if you're not successful. I think in the case where you're successful, you know, um, we count many of the sort of hyper growth businesses in our in our customer portfolio. So. Uh, the Monzos and the Revoluts of this world, you know, th these, these are businesses that are scaling from, you know, when they started using Pecan Monzo, I think 30 employees up to, uh, you know, like passed through 1,300 recently. And that's a massive, massive change for those early employees. And if you can find somebody um, who can scale with the company, then you've found a really, really special person. It's actually incredibly unlikely that the same people that you were able to hire when you had this, you know, idea that was mostly vaporware until now it's, you know, the best known bank in the UK. I mean, are, are they likely to be the same people? I don't think so. And so that, I think there's, it's normal to expect um, a level of attrition. Um, and actually, it can be a healthy thing. It's not necessarily bad that people leave the company. It's bad when you have regressible attrition. Um, on the converse side, of course, you know you, you, you get a lot of most startups don't make it, uh, and they become zombie companies, and and then and then it really is difficult to retain employees, particularly the smart ones, because obviously they'll they'll go and find um, better better opportunities. Well, that's right. I mean, a, good, good, a couple of good points. So, as you said, like most startups don't make it. I think it's like uh, ninety six percent of startups. Uh, I, I think you know will fail to probably get to a million in revenue, and and, and, and likely mm. you, you know die and, and get shuttered. Uh, so obviously there's going to be attrition in those circumstances, but the ones that do, they go through these kind of growing pains. Uh, and, and with that, uh, I guess there's a lot of learning, you know, for like first time entrepreneurs, even second time sort of entrepreneurs and you know, getting things right, uh, hiring the right people, getting the culture right uh, as well. That's kind of like super tough. Um, uh, and you could be, a, I guess, a slow growing startup or even a, a, a hyper growth startup. I heard... Um, the CEO of Walt speak yesterday <laughs> hired 500 people in uh, in the last year, right? Mm. Uh, and and that's got to be tough. Not only, I mean, not well, for him hiring 500 people, but for the employees that have previously been there to see 500 new colleagues come in, 
and, yeah. and how do you feel kind of you know the growing pains that uh, must be super tough right to, to kind of do that and, and, and manage that kind of role and I think you, you touched on um, a couple of points that are, are quite important though when you, when you mentioned sort of culture and values I think um, often overlooked by early startup founders like you know values like, is this a wishy-washy thing like how how do you define culture can you really measure culture like what is our culture a pool table or is it you know a beer fridge and Turns out it's none of those things, really. You know, we what we believe is that values are incredibly important. And actually, unless you've solidified a very, very um, solid set of core values that really um, speak to what is the essence of your company, what's the essence of Walt or you know or Monzo, um, then you will find it very hard to to execute on hypergrowth. So it doesn't matter how much funding you have, but if you start to hire people that other people in the company don't think are a values fit, then straight away this whole kind of edifice can come tumbling down. So taking the time to codify, you know, what is it that makes you uniquely you? Like what makes SaaS stock uniquely SaaS stock? And like, can you get, um, you know, can you do that exercise with the people who already work there? So obviously that's difficult on day one because there isn't a culture, right? right? You've just started the company. But six months in, it's worth like sitting down or a year in and, and saying, you know, guys, like what, what, what makes us uniquely us? And we did this exercise in Pecon actually twice. Um, and the first time we did it, uh, we came up with these um, incredibly good values, we thought. Uh, so they were like elevate people, uh, drive change, you know, elevate people as in, you know, everyone gets better at their jobs, uh, drive change in our customers and valued partner. I, we, we do great, great service. And, and at the time I was like, oh, these, these are great values. You know, who, who wouldn't want to have those values? And what we realized is, there was nothing unique about them, right? You could say them about any company. In fact, you could probably say them about SaaS stock. <laughs> um, so, so if they don't, if your values don't describe what's uniquely you, then they're not really your values, and you've kind of missed the point. So, we went back to the drawing board, um, and actually, on uh, one of our summits, we call them in Pecan. Obviously, that's the joke there. Um, uh, we have another event called Basecamp. So, at one of the summits, we got people to actually do uh, an exercise where they drew a picture. So, they got into groups and sort of drew a poster of kind of what made Pecan uniquely Pecan, and then we kind of took took that away you know, went round different groups, different areas in the company. And, and ultimately this process like took, took six months, but we came away with seven things that we think really uniquely define us, particularly in combination. And some of them are, you know, sometimes a little bit odd. So you want to build in this sort of tension. So we have kind of like life first, but we also have like wit, you know, whatever it takes. So it's like, and, and a lot of the employees are like, well, how, how is this compatible? And, you know, you, you have to figure that stuff out. But um, you then, you then have a framework by which you can sort of say, well, is this person adhering to the values or are they not? You know, rather than having generic terms that could apply to anyone. Talking about adhering to the values. Um, so obviously when you're hiring, you're looking you know, for people that have those values, mm. right? Uh, I, I guess actually at Sastock, uh, taking it back to us. So uh, it took us four years or it took me four years to actually do that exercise with the company. And How big are you uh, now, Alex? Uh, we're, we're about sort of 20 people. 20 people, yeah. Um, and uh, so only in 2019 did we do that exercise about the, the, the values. And, that, and only you know, in 2019 then, because we have the values, start hiring to those to values. values. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, so hiring to those values is one thing, uh, and then when you have the, the you have your team, you have your employees, kind of const like how often do you kind of check in, um, you know, with the employees to still see that they're you, you know adhering to those values because you can hire to those values, but you maybe those people don't always have those values or they change, you know, over time. Yeah, absolutely, and I think people do change over time. Um, so I mean. You know, we obviously eat our own dog food, um, so we use Pecan on a weekly basis. Uh, we have a sort of values module where you can to measure, actually, and, and see the trends, to what extent 
different areas of the company believe that um, you know people are adhering or, or not adhering to the values, and, and more importantly, kind of why. So you can see kind of what the trending topics are, uh, and if you have particularly sensitive things, so we also look for you know blatant values violations, so stuff like incidents of sexual harassment or bullying or. Um, you know, regulated industry like you know financial conduct authority violation or you know bribery, those those kind of things, we'll flag them straight up to top management. So we would recommend that that is something that you should track over time. Um, it's easy to do, it's super lightweight, uh, and then you'll actually have have some data to back up your um, you know theory or hypothesis. Um, you've uh, or Picon has a, a nine-month warning uh, report, yep. uh, which identifies uh, you know four reasons that people leave. Um, let's talk, what are those four reasons? Uh, and let's talk a little bit more about that report and uh, how people can benefit in, uh, about this nine-month warning. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, th th just to talk a little bit more about the origins of the report. So um, we've got to the scale now where we have a very, very significant data set, uh, which is structured um, uh, and, and over a wide variety of different types of companies. So whilst we've talked a lot about kind of hyper-growth organizations, you know, we equally work with uh, companies who are hundreds of years old, you know, uh, we, I think overall we've got 160 countries represented, uh, like 58 million data points in there, um, and we're getting, and it's growing all the time, so around 100,000 responses a day, that's like uh, one a second, actually. Um, so in that report, um, we've published the findings, so you can get them, if you go to pecon.com slash heartbeat, uh, you can download it, but ultimately the key findings are um, that people leave unchallenging work uh, rather than workload, um, people leave um, when they can't discuss their pay, not necessarily because of the pay itself, but more the, the fairness and transparency around that. Um, people are much more likely to leave managers than they are to leave um, their, you know, because of their colleagues. Uh, and also people leave when they don't see a clear path to growing in the company, uh, which is not usually a problem in a startup, but uh, you know, can be a problem in, in slower growing organizations. So th those four key, key reasons why people leave businesses, do you th are they the same, uh, do you see the same kind of reasons within, within startups uh, uh, as well? We do actually, yeah. Um, although not all companies are the same. Um, so we, what, whilst those are sort of often the key drivers, then we try and um, on a sort of meta level look at what are the leading indicators about, you know, that, that may be driven by these things. So actually in, inside the, uh, we have a nutrition prediction algorithm which enables you to basically have this, um, you know, 2024 site uh, to be able to see what's going to happen. So up to nine months before people leave, we will see changes uh, in their engagement score compared to people who are not going to leave. So that's the difference, right? So you might have a natural kind of level uh, you know, for someone who's a two-year tenure, uh, who is a female engineer in London who's earning this much, and Pecan will know like what that should be uh, versus like how, how it is trending. And then you basically have um, quite a lot of time to stage an intervention and then to look at what are the drivers for that person or for that department um, and then do something about it. Um, what about um, like warning signs for, for people leaving, right? So obviously, I mean, I, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same with any company and probably the same with Pecan and the same as at SASDOC. You know, we've had people leave SASDOC which we've seen coming, and then we've also had people leave where you don't you see it coming, yeah. right? Uh, but what are, what, what are the things that you should be looking for, um, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, you should be looking for, um, you know, definitely, you know, unchallenging work. So, like, are people having to do, like, mindless, repetitive tasks? 
Um, you should make, be making sure that all of your managers have got like kind of growth plans set out with your employees, or the, and that you have a clear vision for the company. So I think, you know, when you're a very small organization, a lot of that like heavyweight HR stuff doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. But I think in the case of Stasog, it's probably important that. Um, you know, Alex is very clear about where you're taking this company, uh, you know, in the three to five year time frame, uh, so that people have something to aim for. Um, I think that, um, you know, we often see um, warning signs in terms of when people stop engaging with processes. So um, actually some of the, the data shows that when people are like not engaging with PECON, that's a, a very important warning sign versus people who do. Um, and then it's important to note that actually early in the tenure is your risk zone. So in the first two years of employment, people are 44% more likely to leave their job. So even though those early employees might have a high engagement score, they actually do also have an elevated risk of leaving. So it's kind of even more important to get your onboarding right. Um, and there's quite a lot of research that shows that people who have a poor onboarding experience in a company where you know, they're not necessarily welcome, they have to set up their own laptop, and you know, they don't, it's not clear what they're supposed to do in the first three months. That is like a very, very high risk factor. So when someone comes in, you know, you should have, uh, or build a plan with them that says, okay, first 30 days, first 60 days, first 90 days. And, and the reason for that is so that they, they have a clear direction and have a good start in their career in your organization. How important are one-to-ones with regards to uh, attrition and um, you know, what is your view in terms of like, the, the cadence of, uh, of one-to-ones? How regularly should you be doing them with employees? Uh, I think they're extremely important, honestly. Um, I mean, we, we never identify individuals, right? So we, whilst PECOM will give you um, an idea that you have an elevated risk in your technology team and you might be able to drill that down and say, well, actually, it's the security aspect or whatever. We, we obviously safeguard the, um, the employee's anonymity. Um, so it's, it's extremely important that your managers are having one-on-ones um, because uh, ultimately that's how you're going to find out what they're really thinking um, and where all of these kind of development conversations are, are going to be happening. And, and I think, you know, all... Uh, People talk a lot about generational differences, but it's definitely true that more than ever, millennials and Gen Z just want to be heard. So, like, you know, the one-on-one, again, is, is another place where, you know, they can be heard. Uh, and often just hearing someone out is kind of is, is kind of enough to allay a lot of their fears. Um, so I, I would say one-on-ones are critical. Uh, we, um, you know, we recommend that you do, do them weekly if you can. Uh, even, even, you know, 15, 15, 20 minutes a week is probably better than you know, spending an hour a month. What are your uh, sort of like top tips, or sort of top tips in terms of like managing people that you can share um, with our audience? Um, top tips in terms of managing people. I think it, it varies a lot, right? Depending on whether or not you've got early employees uh, or later ones. But I think you you need to figure out like how much how much guidance does an individual really need. Uh, so, so management is not a one-size-fits-all thing. You know, if someone starts in the company and they're they're a self-starter, then it's you know, some people it's it's enough to sort of, you know, you know, show them the values, you know, give them the vision, you know, give them a goal and kind of let them execute. But with other employees, that approach is an absolute disaster. And you know, you you get um, it's like a, I think particularly dangerous like is like extreme autonomy with like junior employees where by, you know, they might initially think that that's what they want, but, um, you know, when you, uh, when you kind of like unleash them onto the world, they, like, you know, they might have difficulty prioritizing and, you know, then the other parts of the business start having a go at them and stuff. So I think, 
I think the, the point is that you need to um, treat everyone as an individual and, and kind of like really understand what their development needs are and then you'll, then you'll be a great manager and listen. You're, you're running a, a company of how many people? 225. 225 across, uh, I guess, several, like you've got US office, uh, a couple of European offices, right? Yeah, we do. Um, you as a, as a CEO, like how do you, uh, how do you find that uh, in terms of like the pressures of, of, of being a CEO, you know, having 200 people to kind of manage and to lead? Um, yeah, like what, what are you, how, how is it for you? Uh, I guess. Um, it changes a lot as the company gets bigger. You know, we, we were uh, probably up until 15, 20 people we were in one office in Copenhagen. Uh, mid-16, we opened up in London, so then we had two sites to manage, but, you know, the flights between London and Copenhagen are not too bad. Um, you know, and then we, we had, like, two years of explosive growth, uh, you know, during which time we um, decided to open offices in, in Germany, uh, in APAC, uh, actually all the way down in Auckland and in New York all at the same time. And then it becomes, it becomes very difficult to manage the company in the same way, right? And um, as the CEO, like people want to see you in person, they want you to attend, right? And um, it, it's it's almost like heartbreaking when you sort of say, well, I can't really make more than one trip to New Zealand a year because uh, because the schedule is so punishing. So you you really have to lean on um, your operating mechanisms as a company. So it's critically important, you know, that you define like what they are, like all hands meetings, you know. How do you get the people in New York and the people in New Zealand and the people in Europe to all be on the same thing? Well, it might not be possible. So do you do recordings? Do you do separate meetings? You know, and, that, and that goes for a lot of the different operating meetings in the functions as well. Um, at PECON, we invest quite heavily in, um, in events. Uh, so we have uh, PECON Summit on an annual basis. Um, we have an exciting location coming up uh, in a European city. Okay. Uh, you can tell me. For PECON employees. <laughs> um, uh, that may involve a chateau. Um, so so that, that's really a, you know, something everyone looks forward to where we bring everyone together from around the world and we do stuff you know, as a company, like where are we, where are we going, but also uh, departmentally, you know, like how's the sales team doing, where do we need to improve? Um, we also do local events. Uh, we call them base camps. Uh, so you know, last autumn, kind of various members from the management team, I couldn't go to all of them, but we, we fly around the world and kind of like work with local teams um, to sort of lo- look at their their problems or you know kind of what's going on there um obviously all hands and then you know just having those open lines of communication whereby you know any employee anywhere in the world if it can give me feedback in pecan anonymously and, and i can respond to it so that 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 helps a lot right how do you stay healthy and sane uh as uh, <laughs> as a ceo are you sane <laughs> Um, I don't think any CEO is that sane, right? Because you'd have to be slightly insane to to, want to do the job. Um, It's not particularly easy. I don't know how you find it, but um, I find uh, you you have to be more and more ruthless about what you say no to. And I'm the sort of person who likes to say yes to everything. So um, that's like, you know, something I guess I'm still still learning. So it's very easy. I mean, you can easily like get up at, you know, six o'clock every day and and go to bed at 10 and like have no personal time that, that doesn't really help you in the long run and I think particularly when you um, enter that scale up phase you know it's it becomes a marathon not a sprint and uh, like if, if you're not in like decent condition you know uh, you, 
you uh, you're not going to finish. So uh, you know, I mean, I I'd never been in a gym in my life until uh, <laughs> until 2019. <laughs> uh, but I actually signed up for one. That's actually helped a lot. I mean, it's just you know obvious obvious stuff. Um, I think it's also interesting. You know, if you've not done this before, uh, to get a coach like and have somebody you can talk to. Um, both. Um, so I I lucky enough to have sort of industry mentor. You know. Uh, somebody who's been public company SaaS, um, you know, for some reason wants to chat to me on a weekly basis. And, and then also somebody looks a bit more holistically about not just the work stuff. Uh, I also find it's incredibly handy to just seek out people who've done this before um, in all of the different roles and, and, and then talk to them about what great looks like. And I think you're probably in a lucky uh, position, Alex, that you obviously get to meet uh, everybody in the industry. Yeah. Um, so you know a lot of those people. Uh, but you, sh- you should work, I think, you know, it's, it's easy to do networking in the startup world that's like sort of pointless, but that, that's like really meaningful networking if you get to know people that have done this before and that, you know, most people are willing to dish out free advice, uh, it turns out. So um, that, that, that's something that's helped me at least. Yeah, absolutely uh, agree with all of that. Um, sound advice, uh, Phil Chambers, uh, CEO of Pecon. Thanks for being a guest on the SaaS Revolution Show. Thanks, Alex. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show with myself, Alex Sumer, and my guest, Phil Chambers, CEO and co-founder of Pecon. hope you got some important lessons and tips from Phil around managing people and looking for signs of attrition and how to manage that better. Now, if you liked this episode, we'd appreciate if you rated or reviewed us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcast, and we'll see you next time.